I have a word. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable. That was amazing. I'll tell you right now. My default's tears. Okay. Some people's laughing. Oh, thank goodness, not laughing. That would be insane. My default's tears. Ever since I got saved, my default's tears. And for we hear someone who's vulnerable, that's so scary. Because we all hide our story for the most part. But you know, I really thought when you said that, you know, we're we're all broken. Every one of us. We're so desperately broken that we're the only ones who know it, but we don't want to show it. And we hope that no one else gets to know it, that they just like us for who we are. But you know, the older you get. You know the great thing about growing old? Lots of things that aren't good, but the great thing about growing old is you get to take off some of the masks that you've had to wear the whole of your life just to get you to like me. Isn't that terrible? Because God made you, he created you in such specialness, such beauty and holiness that he wants you to be you, but we're scared of being us. I believe we're all broken. And the sooner we get that through our thick heads, the better we'll be. And that only God, who's precious, and God who's holy, and God who's perfect, is life transforming. I hope you came here today to be transformed. Remember the question asked, what did you come here for today? What did you come to see? I'll tell you one thing I hope you didn't come to see or to hear. It's a, a sales pattern on safe families. I'm about rousing the church in Scotland. I'm about making that spirit of God that he's deposited in you come alive. I'll give you a vehicle to go somewhere to test your faith, to test your courage, to test your compassion. But it's all about you. It's all about him. It's all about him working in you. Humpty Dumpty sat in a wall. That's every one of us. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And each and every one of us will have a suddenly moment in our life when someone leaves or someone dies, a, a job that your promise falls through and the house you fell through. And all, and he's there and shattered in pieces. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But the king can. Amen? The king can. And I'm in King's Church. It's great. I have got to look at my watch because I cannot go over time or Karis is going to kill me, okay? And I, that is not a good thing. So, I'm in King's Church. Wow, what a church. What a church. I'm going to come to that later because you guys killed me, my default. You killed me at Christmas, okay? Let's go to the next slide. The master came. Luke 4, 18. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free. He came to minister to the poor, the orphan, the widow, the lonely, the woman who had no name, but she was the woman of, who had the issue of blood. He came to heal the sick to those who were thrown and cast to the, the ends of society that no one wanted to touch them. Jesus went and found them. And guess what? 
He's asking us to do the same. You see, we like salvation. We like the whole thing about getting saved. We like that idea of, of that impartation of God. It's like the man who was lowered to the, in front of Jesus' feet. Can you imagine someone kicking the windows, I mean, the, the, the roof here and dropping? I'd, I'd, be, I'd be angry. But Jesus marveled at his faith. Tonight, we're going to hear about faith. And Jesus marveled at his faith. And he said, your sins are forgiven. And for the most part, I'm off, I'm off message already. For the most part, that's where we're at. Lord Jesus, we'll accept that you have forgiven our sins and we're staying put. Lord Jesus, come on back. We're ready for heaven. Oh, we love you. Oh, we love you. Don't ask you to do anything. But oh, we love you. We love you. Love coming to church. Love doing all the churchy things. But don't ask to do anything because, well, I'm back to me knowing how broken I am. He then said, but so you know I have power. He said to the man who was still paralyzed, and most of the church are still paralyzed. You know what Smith Wigglesworth said of himself? I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside. Oh, let me go, let me loose, let me, let me be released onto this world. Christ said, I must disappear, that I would reappear in you. That you would be Jesus. 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 What happens when thousands of Jesuses appear on the streets of Edinburgh? He said, get up and walk. Get up. Get up and walk. And can you imagine how excited they must have been when this guy who, who had compassion and love had lifted him he said, I can't go to see the master. The master will never be able to heal me. They said, we'll lift you. We'll pick you up. We'll take you. We'll carry you. There's so many people we can't get through. Let's get up on the roof. Let's kick the roof open. Let's lower him down. Because that's what love does. It just kicks on through. It kicks on through. Even when you're scared, love kicks on through. And he got up and he walked. Wouldn't you love to get up and walk? Wouldn't you love a day with Jesus? Let's be honest. Jesus comes back and says, I want to have a day with you. It'd be embarrassing because ooh, the schedule would be, have to change a lot to be with Jesus. But Jesus came for the broken. Here's a little poem. This is the next slide. This is all new, okay? The Lord woke me up at four o'clock. He does this to me. And I don't mind. I used to mind. You know, my eyes would... I couldn't get to work the next morning because I was so tired, but I love it. I had a pain in my, in my, in my, in my, um, in, in my hip because I twisted my ankle on Thursday. I couldn't walk. I, there was a point where I thought I wasn't coming to King's. I said, I can't go and sit in King's like some old fogey sitting on the thing. I have a real good message from the Lord for you say. But God did a wonderful work on my, on my leg, praise God. But because I had my leg up for most of the day, my hip was out of place. That's what happens when you get old. It's spooky. Some not nice things about getting old. And, he, and I, I began to work this message. But before I get there, I want to read this poem. Pray. Pray don't find fault with a man who limps or stumbles along the road unless you've worn the shoes he wears or struggled beneath his load. There may be tacks in his shoes that hurt. Though hidden away from you or the burden he bears placed on your back might cause you to stumble too. Don't sneer at the man who's down today unless you've felt the blow that caused his fall or felt the shame that only the fallen know. 
or you may be strong, but still the blows that were given to him have dealt to you, to you in the self-same way at the self-same time might cause you to stagger too. Don't be harsh, too harsh with a man who sins or pelt him with word or stone unless you're sure, you're doubly sure that you have no sins of your own. For you know, perhaps of the tempter's voice, should whisper as softly to you as it did to him when he went astray, it might cause you to stumble too. That beautiful poem. I have a copy of this. Anyone want this poem? You can keep it in your, in your collection. Can I? Unless you know the story Brenny Brown says, unless you know the story it's not for us to look with judgmental eyes. As a counselor, it's when you hear the story that you go, oh my goodness. You're not allowed to do that as a counselor. You're, you've got to stay. But you look and you think, oh my, my, in your heart, you're going, oh wow, such pain that a human being could do that to another human being. That's, that's dreadful. And until I know the story, I, I don't know what you've been through. But we have this next slide. It's a wonderful piece of scripture. Jesus is asked by, um, let's just read it. Um, on one occasion, the expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he answered correctly. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, and he brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you, that, that you have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And he said, go, do thou likewise. Get up and walk. Go, do thou likewise. This man was tempting him. He was goading him. He wanted to find out, did the master really know? Unbelievable that someone would come into the presence of Jesus and think that he could deceive him. So Jesus had a great tactic, which I learned in business. I've been in business 30 years, been in the ministry 30 years. And when someone asks you a tough question and you haven't a clue where you're going, you say, ask another question. As though you were looking for clarification or something. You just go back and say, well, what does that mean to you? Tell me. But that means to you, thinking in my head, I now need to figure out what he's even talking about. But Jesus knew he was talking about. He just wanted to hear it from him. 
So at four o'clock in the morning, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with this because suddenly, you know, the Lord starts to give me a message. And, and you know, the, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. It was just the way it went. Um, I always thought that the Samaritans were lower, but they actually thought themselves much higher. They weren't the ones that were dragged into captivity. They're the ones who stayed and watched captivity come back into Israel. So they felt they were a little bit higher than them. I never knew that. And Wikipedia, amazing thing, Wikipedia. And, and I just was so thrilled to see how Jesus is, he, he, he made up the parable. And I said, Jesus, why did you do this? Why didn't you say a Roman, they hated the Romans, a Roman came down and he looked and he just walked on by. A Samaritan came down and he, <laughs> he walked on by, no compassion there. And the church came in and said, oh, compassion. And, but that's not what happened. Jesus chose it. Jesus chose it. Jesus understands the ways of mankind. Why did he make the church look so bad? Come on, why not make us the heroes? The two leaders of the church who walked by and they saw, but they didn't see. I came that I would heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to open up blinded eyes, Jesus said. I always used to think those would be blinded eyes by the side of the road like we'll hear tonight. Oh, blind Bart- Bartimaeus. But you know where the blinded eyes are? I'm sorry to say this. There's something beneath the mask I've worn for so long that I choose to say I don't want to see that. I think that mission is actually for you and for you and for you. It's not for me. So I'm going to keep on walking by and I hope that person gets the help that they need. Not the way Jesus was with the woman with the issue of blood. It wasn't the way Jesus was with those who were broken. He loved them. He loved them. Oh, he loved them. And boy, I tell you, that song kills me. I love it. And when we sing that song, just like Luke said, we have, to, we have to pray it in. We have to pray it in. We have to see ourselves transformed. God wants to take us to a much higher place. But he has to wait for your permission. He won't take over. He has to wait for your invite. And boy, if you'll invite him in, he will transform. So this is what I got, four o'clock in the morning. Love the Lord with all your heart. Your heart is your core. If you go to Proverbs, it's a seat. Out of your heart come the issues of life. Your heart is your core. It's your why. Simon Sinek, the why. That's what he's all about, the why. Your heart gives you the why you should get up in the morning. If I was really talented, I'd have made these things come in one by one. <laughs> but see, I used to have a secretary and they took her away and gave me a laptop. That was bad. <laughs> and, my, and all my staff are outside and they're laughing through my glass window. They are laughing at me as my dear, dear Janice walks out and does another role. But that would, they all came in one by one, okay? The hardest why. It, it's, it's your why. It's why you do things. The soul, I'm sitting there thinking, God, this doesn't make any sense. I've never preached this, by the way. This could be absolutely wrong. I don't think it is. My wife looked at it and she said it looks okay. Um, the soul, 
It's your what. It's what you're going to be known for. It's your legacy. It's what you gave your life for. That's what the breath life's there for. As long as that breath is going on, just like all the animals who also got soul life, as long as that keeps on going, you'll be known for something. And when that stops, you get to see him face to face. But until then, we're driven by our why. Your mind has to figure out the why, and then it has to work out the processes that are required to bring that to pass the how. That's what your mind's actively doing. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? You want, really do want to do that? Okay, we can do that. And then, you, of course, we're so double-minded because our hearts are all over the place. So our mind is a real problem. And double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But you know, the why is massive and why you want to stay with that for a little while. Robert Brin said that the purpose of life is a life of purpose. The why is your compass. The, philosoph the philosopher Nishi said, those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. And Viktor Frankl, in his book, Man's, is that Man's Meaning for Life? Man's Purpose for Life? Great book. You want to read that book. Seriously, Viktor Frankl. It's when he was in the Auschwitz camp and all these terrible things were going on. He said, see, if you could find a why, you could carry on living. Those who didn't have a why died. They just died of a whole host of different things. They'd lost their why. Your why drives you on. And your strength is where you deposit your life, your time. The where is what I came to talk to you about today. I can give you a where. I can give you a where as to where you could do this. Because you know what the author talks about, God talks about us, and it's really sad. He says that we're sheep. Oh man, I don't want to be a sheep, Jesus. And this old little 82-year-old from Davidson, Maine, stood up in our first ever training day. I was attending and I was in charge. And I didn't know if you could speak or ask questions. And she said, can I say something? I said, I have no idea. But, <laughs> but why don't you? And she said, I'm an 82-year-old. Everything I have in life is, is endings. But then I found safe families and I had a new beginning. And she said, you won't believe this, but I've been a sheep for most of my life in church. I come and I, I, I consume. But now I want to be consumed. Oh my goodness. Talk on, talk on. She says, I'm a sheep, but since I came to know safe families, I found the lion. I want to give you something here today. If you want to test yourself in a good, wholesome, loving, wonderful way, Come with us in the same families. We'll train you, we'll equip you, we'll empower you, and we'll give you an assignment, okay? And you can just try it. What are we trying to do? What are we trying to do in all of this? We're trying to take young kids who have had a Humpty Dumpty moment, maybe mom and dad have or they have, and there's been a fall, there's been a suddenly moment has happened, and they need our help. And if we as safe families come in at the very early point of intervention, if we can be that earliest point, we can take this family and we can love them back to life. Oh, we're not going to be the savior for them. We're not the silver bullet by far. Only 17% at best, we stop going into care. So it's not, it's not, it's not. 
But it's a bit like the starfish thing. You know the guy who's thousands of starfish up on the beach and why do you bother doing it? You know, you're never going to save them all. He'll say, I'll save this one and this one and this one and this one. That's all we're going to do. We're going to take that one little child who'll remember you. You say, I, I remember Roger and Mary when they came into my life and I didn't know them. They were from safe, safer, safe, safe families. And, but they used to take me out and we, we'd go out to the park and they'd... They seemed loving and kind to me. It's the first man I ever knew who didn't want to hurt me in some way or another. And they were kind to me, and, and I remember that. And, and then I wanted to go to school, and he helped me with my homework, and I wasn't behind at school anymore, and I didn't have to scream and shout and be removed from the class. And You see, if we can help them at this age and just help mom and dad get stable again, they won't break into your car or your house or beat up your kid. 63% of all prisoners have been in care. Come on, come on. And we blindly say, I really want a very nice life where everything is so comfy and we don't have any problems in our society. Nothing ever happens in our neighborhood. If they ever get the fact that you've got it all and they've got nothing, it'll be a different day. So all we're saying is if we can just help them at the early stages, they can avoid all this terrible, terrible brokenness throughout their life. And we have social workers breaking their hearts trying to keep these people safe. And I love anyone who would adopt or foster. I just, I mean, it's massive, massive, massive undertaking that anyone would do that. And I thank God for it. So let's go to the next slide. I think I'm, I'm what am I down to? I'm down, I'm down in minutes now. So the Good Samaritan, the essence of the Good Samaritan is that he comes, he sees. He comes down to the place of the broken person. And that's so important, to come onto that level of the person and just hear their story. And it says that he bound up their wounds. This is you getting involved. It's not like we send money to the mission fields and say, we love you missionaries out there doing that wonderful work for us back out there whilst we do our careers over here. And uh, I hope you've got a good pension scheme. Sorry. But sometimes it feels like that. It's saying, okay, I'm going to take my jacket off. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to bind up some wounds here. It's, oof, never done that before. Bind up some wounds. And I'm going to, it says that he, he carried them. Has anyone ever carried you? Have we all had such lush lives that only mom and dad ever had to carry us? I mean, I've got kids, I'm still carrying them. I've got grandkids, I'm still carrying them. But he, he went down and he picked them up and he, and he put them on the donkey, took them to a safe place and then he took care of them. That's all we're saying. That's all safe families is. You get a little assignment for a little while to go alongside and these people are wobbly trees, okay? We talked, we sang about the wind, of course it was God's wind of mercy coming, but this is a wobbly wind. This is a wind that causes them pain. And we're not asking you to be the physician. We're not asking you to be the counselor, the person with all the ideas. We're not asking you to go in there and figure their life out. All we're asking you to, to be is a stake. Just just there, right beside them, while they're wobbling away at stake. And what's in you? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Reconciling the world unto himself. 
Oh, you may feel small, but it says he filled you all in all. Every single fiber of your being is Jesus. We just don't believe it. That's all we do. We stand right beside them, and they're wobbling away. We're saying, oh, great. Well, look, let's have a coffee together, and you know, things can get better. And we're carriers of hope. That's what the Word of God says. We're carriers of hope, and we speak into their life hope. When you've got no hope, you've got no life. It's over. It's gone. There we are. All she did came around, was with her, a cup of coffee, understood her story, and just stood with her for a little while until the wind blew past and she could see and she had hope and the child grew. And you know what she does? She attributes that to church. You know, when you as volunteers help us, and we've got some great volunteers here, by the way, epic volunteers. When, we have, when you as volunteers help us, it changes the brand of church. We get known for being lovers of society. We get known as transformers. We get known as a place for safe kids to come or kids to be coming here safely. That's We're changing our culture. And if you want to do that, Jesus wants to do it with you. I've got two minutes left. What do you enjoy doing in life? You know, most of us enjoy having a partner and children and family and friends and health. We enjoy school, university, our jobs, or you know, whatever we do, our home, our cars, our holidays. We're all very proud of that. And, and most people don't have that. And the Word of God says a man's chief end is actually this Presbyterian thing. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him. Now, I just want to ask a question today. Do you enjoy God? That hit me hard, that question. See, if it, I had to really ask that question honestly. Do I, do I enjoy you, God? If I enjoy you so much, why do I resist you so much? Why do I pick up that stupid rag on the bus rather than boldly taking out my Bible or just reading, reading the gospel that's going to build hope in my life? God, if I enjoy you so much, why do I, why do I find prayer so hard? Enjoy so much. Why, why is it a struggle to come to two services on a Sunday? Or, or just to give a little bit of my time and effort to do something? But I'll tell you something. He enjoys us. He enjoys us so much. He's waiting there for us. He's waiting, saying, Oh gosh, look at this. Dan's coming again. He's going to be coming, telling me that he loves me. He most likely won't bring a prayer list because I already know what he wants to pray for. If he just come and he'll just love on me, tell me that I'm, I'm, I'm a good God. We've got to enjoy God and give him something, a life, a life worth living. Build hope into someone else, not just our own personal dreams because those people most likely don't have a home or a car or a job. They're not going to university. Their kids will hardly get through school. But what if you just came and gave them hope? you transform. I'm going to ask Karis to come up and let you know the types of volunteers that we have. And bless you.
That's great. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Um, yes, so I'm here to explain a little bit about safe families. I think we're skipping that. <clears throat> um, I am a family support manager for Safe Families for Children, as well as doing the administration here at church. That can be a little bit confusing. Um, I kind of fell into the job as life started changing. And just before I talk about volunteering for us, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story um, because I think it's relevant to it. And it fits in with how God directs your steps. Uh, Many of you will have heard a chunk of my story about how a couple of years ago I had to have an operation on my vocal cords, um, which ended up in not really being what they thought it was going to be and actually being something that was a lot worse. And they told me that my voice might not ever recover. You can hear it, it hasn't fully, but it's a lot better than it was. But a side of that story that I don't really tell is how after the operation, I got what they call a post-operative chest infection. Um, But my breathing did not recover for about three months after that. But the signs of infection were gone. And so medicine told me there was no reason for my my breathing not to be recovered. But I couldn't walk half a street without being flawed and totally breathless. So one day, and I don't really tell this part of the story because... You know me, I like to come across as being a strong woman. (laughs) And I find it difficult to share these things, but I feel it's appropriate right now. That one day someone was praying over me and just prophesied, Karis, your breath is gone because you're seized by fear. And the Lord is saying, he wants to take that fear away because you need to trust in him. Hmm. And he prayed over me for that fear to go. And I realized it was really true. The thing was, I'd been in a lot of pain a couple of years ago and I'd managed to come back. I I thought that was my low point. But coming out of this surgery, I realised I'd hit a whole new low because I had to give up my career. Um, We all know I'm a storyteller and I thought that was gone. We all know I love singing and I thought that was gone. And I thought, I was scared I couldn't bounce back. I was scared that I wasn't going to find something to do. And... Also, my singing really helped me meet with God, so I was scared that I'd lost my personal relationship with God. And honestly, I'd never been so scared in my life. But as he prayed, he told me to breathe deeply, and as I did that, the fear went, and as the fear left, my breath come back. And there's that song that says, it's your breath in my lungs, and for me, that's a really real part of my life. It's his breath in my lungs. Because without him, I was struggling to breathe. And I'll tell you that because actually a lot of these families that we're working with, that fear is there every day. But they don't have the Lord to get rid of that fear for them. Now, it's fear in children because they don't have a safe space. Or they don't have attachment with an adult in the way we know attachment. But it's also fear in parents or carers. Fear that social work are going to get involved and their children will be removed. Fear that they won't meet the bills that month. Fear that they won't be able to provide a good life for their children. And what I want to say is, the families that we work with are so brave Hmm. because they ask for help. And they allow a stranger to come into their deepest vulnerabilities to give them the help that they think they need. That's why we're called Safe Families for Children. 
It's not because it's families that help. It's because we want to come alongside families to help them become safe for the children that are in them. To help them overcome that fear. For me, it was church and God that helped me overcome the fear that was holding me. I'm calling you today to extend what you do as a church to help people overcome fear to people outside of the church that you're in. Mm. Because that's what we want to do. It's such a privilege as a family support manager that I get welcomed into people's homes to hear what they're struggling with and to come up with a plan with them of how they can be helped of what is the best thing that's going to help them. And then to find a fabulous volunteer, which we already have some of in Kings, that will put that into action and to see the wonderful work that does. A story of that is that Dawn has referred to, which I've got to tell you now, is that actually one family turned around to me and said, Karis, this has been the hardest time in my life. She was living in a fear that she wasn't going to be able to care for her children. It racked her with guilt. And she said, I thought it was my family and my friends that were going to help me through this, but they're nowhere to be seen. Actually, it's two strangers, you and the volunteer, that have saved my life. Hmm. And because of that, she's gone to church for the first time (laughs) because she just didn't understand why we would have done that. That volunteer was a family friend, which is one of the ways you can volunteer for safe families. Um... And it's a small thing. That volunteer just takes that child out and gave... um, The mum had a newborn baby. So for the volunteer taking the older child out for a few hours, it gave the mum time to bond with her newborn baby one-to-one, which meant she felt she was giving that baby the attention the baby needed. And that relieved the fear that she wasn't going to be able to parent in that way. One of our King's volunteers is a family friend and the family that she helped said they wouldn't have got through the past year without her and without safe families. So that's that's what this does. It takes away fear and it gives people hope, as Donna said, because it's coming alongside them. It's being a support network where they have nowhere else to get a support network from. And it's actually about trying to introduce them to a further support network so that when the volunteer withdraws, they know they've got somewhere to go. And they're in their community. The second type of volunteer you can be is a host home. This can be day hosting. Um, so currently, um, we've got a family that it's a kinship care placement. If you don't know what kinship care is, that's where the um, parents are deemed as not being able to look after their child. So an extended member of their family takes over as the carer of the children. So this is a nana who's looking after a a little one and she just turned around to me and said, I didn't think I was going to be here again. I thought I'd done this part of my life and I don't know how I can keep going. She's got so much energy. She always wants to play so I can't get anything done. So we've got a volunteer in that does what's called day hosting where they take the little girl for a morning back to their house so that Nana has time to just clean or do the shopping, which seems really simple because it is quite simple, but actually that's transformative in terms of a life. And actually that's then enabling the Nana to feel like I can keep going with this, which means that child gets to stay with her Nana instead of potentially going into care. 
She also received one of the vouchers that we gave out at Christmas time, which led her to tears because she'd been looking at the bank account and was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through Christmas. <laughs> and we gave her a Tesco voucher and she was like, this is going to help me. <laughs> I was literally looking today, there is no solution. And here is one. So thank you for that. And mm. thank you for the work you're doing if you're a volunteer. Thank you for that. You're praying. Host homes also can be overnight hosting if you have a spare room. So that's where you might take a child and stay with you overnight. It can be up to two weeks. And one story of how that worked really well was a single parent had been hospitalized um, due to mental health. And those children were able to go to a host home so they could stay in Edinburgh. And it turned out it was actually one of their birthdays. So the host home gave them a birthday breakfast. So what could have been a really scary, hard time that would have ruined their birthday actually became a joyous celebration where they were cared for and loved and protected. That's what we do as volunteers. And the third and final way you can volunteer is being a resource friend. That can be money. Sometimes we ask for donations towards things. If a family's washing machine breaks down, we like to try and get that replaced as quickly as possible. Because it's really hard to have kids and not be able to do the washing. Mm. Especially because it's really hard for a child to go to school in dirty clothes. That's the kind of thing that kids are brutal about, as they were about Don Stammer. Like, oh, you smell bad. Or, you know, and that's, that's hard as a child to be different in that way. But resources are also about the skills that you have. So at the minute we've got from one church team a student saying, we want to put together a decorating team. So they'll just go out for one day every now and then when a home needs redecorated and we'll do one room, maybe two. But that can provide a safe space, see? You know, if your home feels good, you can feel good. But that's something that these families can't provide for themselves. But it could also be DIY or anything like that. Explaining these three volunteer roles, I hope helps you see that no matter what your age or stage of life, there's something you can do if you want to get involved with safe families. There's a way that you can help. I don't know if you're like me, but you look around and there's so much brokenness and you're like, oh, I don't think I can do anything. No, it's overwhelming. So we just want to tell you actually there's something you can do if you want to and if you feel that's what the Lord is calling you to. Um, just if we go on to the next slide, I just want to quickly explain to you what, now that you've seen how it works in terms of the volunteer, just an overview of some of the things that we've been doing. So Safe Families began in the States and came over to the UK in 2013. Um, so since then, we've started working with 29 local authorities in England and two local authorities in Scotland. We are working on expanding that. Please, Lord, yes. it's coming through <laughs> soon. Um, but over these, just over five years, that has led to over 3,000 families being supported, which means over 7,000 children have benefited. So I don't know about you, but in that space of time, I think that is a phenomenal mm. effort. And actually, mm. that is the Lord's love mm. being spread to many people. Whether they end up coming to church or not, you've got no idea what seeds that has sown and what security and love that has brought to many. And we just want to share that with you because it gives you a bigger picture of what you might get involved with if you decide to volunteer for us. Um, and so 
yeah, if you think that's what God's calling you to and there's some way that you can help, whether it be big or whether it be small, please just come and let me and Don know because we would love to get you on board. You know, the, the head of social services uh, that we deal with said, you know what, we love you. 74% of the cases you deal with don't go back in the register. Isn't that incredible? He said, we learned compassion from you, the church. But 90 years ago, you handed it back to us and said, we don't want to deal with the broken anymore. I was at the back of the room. I was, I was, I was ashamed. He said, and that was your decision. That's okay. But what we didn't expect you to do, we didn't expect you to walk away. And it's in walking away that you left us holding the baby. And it's been tough without you. But he said, welcome back, church. Welcome back, safe families. This is what he did as the intro before he went up and spoke. Kill me. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I hope we haven't extended the service more than, 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 than normal. I just want to say thank you for allowing us to be here. We're, 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 trying to do, we're trying to transform lives in Jesus' name. That's what we're trying to do. Trying to help the broken and the helpless and the hopeless. And if you want to be part of us, if you want to give us an hour a week, two hours a week, we'd love to have you on board and we'll train you well and we'll equip you well for the work of ministry where, where normally if you go out, if the leadership here said knock that door and say we're off on a campaign to tell people about Jesus, we don't like that, we don't like that. But when we knock the doors they say, are you from Safe Families? Come on in. Let me leave you with that. Bless you.